Welcome to God's Acre On The Go, a worship podcast of the Congregational Church of New Canaan in New Canaan, Connecticut. To learn about the life of our church, our in-person ministries, and the virtual connections and offerings available, please visit us at www.godsacre.org. Now, wherever you are, wherever you are going, we welcome you to worship. Church family, this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to God's Acre on the Go on this Palm Sunday. We're glad to have you tuning in wherever you happen to be or wherever you're traveling this week. Uh, It's a delight to have you with us. We're going to be focusing on a story, actually a fair bit of scripture, uh, from Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem to the very next things that happen, his weeping over Jerusalem and then uh, his turning over the tables uh, in the temple uh, complex. So one of the things that we need to realize about uh, Palm Sunday is that while everything starts uh, in, in jubilance with the waving of palms and shouts of Hosanna, very quickly things go wrong and we wind up at the cross. So to kind of get us in that mindset, I know it it moves us right from celebration to a degree of sadness, but it's important to reflect on this week. The way we're going to start worship today is to uh, have uh, Sergio Martinez and our own Carl Hedrick uh, sing and play for us, Were You There? Were You There When They Crucified Our Lord? So prepare your hearts and minds for worship and for the message that will follow.
So we begin Holy Week, as we do every year, focused on Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But it's important to kind of understand what the expectations were that lead into this moment, and then what happens right after he arrives in Jerusalem. And we're told in the 11th verse of the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke that the people around Jesus had said, supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. This means that Jesus would enter Jerusalem and somehow the reign of God would take shape in an instant and uh, uh, the Romans, for instance, would be banished from the land. So that was the expectation that brings us to this moment of entry. And in the 28th verse of the 19th chapter of Luke, we read, After Jesus had told this parable, he told a parable about uh, while people wanted uh, everything, the kingdom of God to appear immediately, Jesus had just told a parable saying it's going to take some time. Right after that, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Now, when he came near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden untie it and bring it here. Now, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say that the Lord needs it. So those uh, who were sent departed and, and found it just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As Jesus rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. Uh, As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Now, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, order your disciples to stop. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Now, as Jesus came near and saw the city, that is Jerusalem, he wept over it. He wept over it saying, if you, even you had only recognized on this day, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you, O Jerusalem, when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Then Jesus went in and entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling things there. He said, as it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day Jesus was teaching in the temple. The chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the people kept looking for a way to kill Jesus, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were spellbound by what they heard. The word of God for the people of God. Let's take a moment and pray together. Uh, Lord, there are expectations that those first followers of yours had and those in the crowd around you, and we bring expectations as well. So help us to understand your will and way for us. Uh, We pray this in your name. Amen. So, you know, as I said, Palm Sunday begins with shouts of Hosanna, but it really ends with a murder plot. You know, this day always seems so jubilant to us. You know, who would have thought, I always think this, you know, who would have thought that giving people palm leaves could inspire so much enthusiasm, but it does. However, if we're willing to pay attention to the unfolding events we read just a moment ago, 
it isn't difficult to recognize that something is going to go dreadfully wrong and badly. See, if we focus too much on celebratory shouts of Hosanna, we might miss Jesus on his donkey, on the Mount of Olives, overlooking Jerusalem, weeping, weeping over a city God loves. Jesus says, indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another. You know, in his tome of a biography of Jerusalem, Simon Montefiore wrote about a scene on that very same Mount of Olives 40 years later. A scene that apparently Jesus foresaw and the writer of this gospel would have known about. Montefiore writes, in late July 70 AD, Titus, the Roman Empire who is in command of the four-month siege of Jerusalem, ordered his entire army, 60,000 men, to storm the temple. They were eager to strike a final blow to that defiant but broken city. Within the walls, a half million starving Jews survived. Most were innocent families with no escape. The Romans built ramps against the walls of the temple. The temple gates were set on fire and the entire structure began to burn. Around the walls were gruesome scenes that must have resembled hell on earth. Montefiore writes, Titus ordered all prisoners crucified. 500 Jews were crucified each day. The Mount of Olives, he writes, was so crowded with crosses, there wasn't room for any more, nor trees to make them. So as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, down that same Mount of Olives, Jesus wept over what he knew to be a doomed city. As you probably can intuit, but none of us have really experienced, uh, life was just crushingly difficult if you were trying to eke out an existence in first century Palestine. Rome occupied Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside, mainly because the Hebrew people were notoriously rebellious. See, the Jews had this crazy idea that their God was king, not some emperor in Rome. And that belief made them resistant to foreign authority and rather rebellious to any sort of occupation. You know, and as often happens with oppressed people, one of the few ways for Hebrews to survive the Romans was to take advantage of their own people. Apparently, the temple and those who ran it were among the worst offenders. It was Jewish pilgrims came to Jerusalem to make their offerings to God. The religious administrators of the temple exacted a heavy tax. And they allowed even the poorest of people to be taken advantage of by those who found ways to profit off them. Religion, religion that should have provided relief, wound up only increasing the strain. Jerusalem was an absolute mess, burdened and broken inside and out. And yet, we read that Jesus looked at this bereft city and he wept. Jesus cried over this beloved but broken community. And then, did you notice what Jesus did next? It's so expressive of one of the most significant features of our Christian faith. Jesus saw a city before him that was to be laid waste, a hopeless place, a lost cause if ever there was one. Jesus saw a city before him that would turn him over to the Romans that would nail him to a cross and seal him in a tomb. What did Jesus do next? You know, it makes absolutely no sense. And yet it is phenomenally good news. After weeping over Jerusalem, Jesus went to it. Jesus entered the city. Jesus made his way right into the heart of Jerusalem and said, I am here for you. I love you. I will serve you to my end. 
Jesus chose to give everything he had, every last drop of his blood to a dying city and a lost people. Now, honestly, that message of love and commitment might be missed in Jesus's lament over Jerusalem and the fit he wound up throwing in the temple. You know, instead of confronting the Romans uh, as the Jews hoped, Jesus went right to the temple, to his own people, and started turning over tables and essentially saying, you know, if you want to be saved, start by changing yourselves. If you want life to get better, be better yourselves. If you want God to be your king instead of the Roman emperor, start obeying your Lord. And I admit, that doesn't sound or look a lot all that loving. And yet, consider this. With whom do we tend to get most frustrated? Over whom or over what are we most likely to weep? I mean, what, what lost cause are you unwilling to give up on, uh, even if it looks absolutely hopeless? I mean, we know, we, we don't get all that riled up with people we don't care about, right? No, the most angry, uh, we get most angry with, with those we love. We're most likely to weep over those and over that which we love. We, we never really give up, not really, on those lost to us that we love. You know, Jesus announced that Jerusalem was doomed, but he didn't abandon the city. No, he gave himself completely over to it and its people because of love. You see, love never gives up on anyone or anything. Remember the scripture, God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. See, here's the thing, and it's at the heart of Christianity. Love doesn't only endure. Love prevails. Against all odds and against better judgment, love prevails. Against the cross and against death, love and life prevail. Jesus went to tend to a lost city. FYI here, our Lord and our God has a soft spot for lost souls and lost cities, which I just want to suggest is really good news for any of us who've ever strayed from the path. And as a result of that instinct, Christians of every era follow our Lord of lost causes into the most hopeless of places and into the most difficult of relationships. I mean, think about it. There isn't a mission trip our church goes on that will accomplish the aims of the organization we part with, partner with, at least not in a single trip. I mean, we're always praying for a broken world that's not going to heal anytime soon. We give money to causes that need far more resources than we could ever provide. We are faithful to relationships and to people everyone else has given up on. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for Jerusalem. And that's what Jesus said God does for each and every one of us. And I think that's great news that God doesn't give up. Even if the return on that divine love doesn't appear worth the initial investment, God loves anyway. And I'll tell you, the church at its best and Christians at our best pour our love into lost causes because God knows that's where love and life is needed most. You know, I, I think that was probably what was most difficult about the pandemic we've endured. You know, Christians have always been called to risk and to sacrifice themselves for the good of others. And historically, in pandemics past and crises of all sorts, Christians have actually been on the front lines, giving their lives and their love to help others. That, that is the Christian way. So in the early days of this pandemic, when we were told the most helpful thing we could do was to stand back, to keep a safe distance, to remain quarantined while essential workers did their work, you know, that was, that was a really difficult message to receive. We are resurrection people who, who do not fear harm or death. We, we step forward when others step back. We do what needs to be done when no one else is willing to. 
When you follow a Lord who goes to the heart of lost cities and languishing people, holding back is a hard message to hear and heed. But hard messages is what Palm Sunday is really all about. I mean, like the crowds that initially thronged around Jesus, I would love, I'd absolutely love this to be one big buoyant celebration today. But this morning, we must remember and reflect upon the hard fact that calls of Hosanna quickly turned into shouts of crucify. Before we get to the good news of Easter, we must sit in the shadow of the cross where loss seems to prevail. Before we get to peer into an empty tomb, we must grapple with the reality that prophets bearing truth aren't always praised. Before we get to sing Christ the Lord is risen today, we must wrestle with the truth that God loved the world and God lost a son. But God chose to love all the same because love is what is needed most in a broken world. So I would suggest on this dark but holy week that we take some time to consider the lost causes that surround us. The people we believe will never change. The situations we think will never get better. The organizations that will never thrive. The family estrangements that that we think will never be mended. Or the hurt within us that we fear will never be healed. Consider this week. Consider the lost causes. You know, personally, I, I think of a lost cause I've given my life to. I, you know, I grew up loving church, as many of you do. You know, when I went to seminary, I went to seminary, I think, because being a pastor was a job that I'd considered since I was a kid and just thought I could do. But the truth is, I didn't get passionate about being a pastor until my second year in seminary when I took a sociology of religion course and looked at church data for the first time in my life. And it showed not only a church in decline, but a church in freefall, uh, worship attendance, church school attendance, uh, membership falling off a cliff, people stopping going to church altogether. And it was in that moment, looking at that desperate loss of a cause, when I realized being in the church and being a pastor was exactly where I needed to be, that I wanted to spend and expend my life for this church that I've always loved and a Lord that I've always tried to follow. You know, uh, uh, we are called as Christians to give our love and our lives to lost causes. And I think this week we can take time to consider our Lord of lost causes, who loved a lost people in a lost city so much that the only thing he was willing to part with was his own life. This week we can take time to consider the love and life of our Lord and Savior, and perhaps, perhaps in honor of Jesus, for the love of God, and for the good of the world, we can choose to pour ourselves into a lost cause or two as well. Let's pray. Lord God, it is amazing to think that you looked at Jerusalem, wept over what you saw to be its forthcoming doom, and yet you still went to the city and to its people. You spent and expended your life for those who were lost, whether they realized it or not. And Lord, you lost your life, but in the process brought renewed life and love to us. Lord God, help us this week to think about those lost causes that we write off, those situations, those relationships, those circumstances that we think are just dead ends. Help us to consider you, your life and your ministry and your call on our lives, and help us to consider pouring, pouring a bit of ourselves into those causes that ache and break for new life and renewed love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, dear church family, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord look upon you with kindness and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Worship on the Go. To support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please consider making a contribution by clicking the Give button in the top right on our website, www.godsacre.org, or within today's email. God bless you and have a wonderful week.